What would happen if Easter was just another holiday? If Easter was just about eggs and candy and rabbits? If Easter had no verifiable spiritual importance? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. I might as well go to the Eagles games. <laughs> and your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. It'd be pretty sad if we stopped right here. Why Easter? That's the subject for a few moments this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the foundation stone of the Christian faith. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. Paul rested his whole case for Easter on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 30, just from the message paraphrase, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look, I look death in the, in the face practically every day I live. And I love what the, how they put it. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced? Either he did or he did not rise from the dead. If he did, it was the most sensational event in all of history. And we have conclusive answers to the profound questions of our existence. Where have we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? If Jesus rose, we know with certainty that God exists, what he is like and how, how we may know him in personal experience. The universe takes on meaning and purpose, and it is possible to personally experience the living God. On the other hand, if Christ did not rise from the dead, Christianity is an interesting museum piece, nothing more. It has no objective val validity or reality Though it is a nice, wishful thought, it certainly isn't worth getting teamed up about. Page two. It happened again, but it's got numbers. The martyrs who died while singing to the lions and contemporary missionaries who have given their lives around the world while taking this message to others have been poor, deluded fools.
The resurrection, Easter, is the heart of Christianity. Everything hinges on whether or not Jesus did or did not rise from the dead. Josh McDowell, who was uh, for many years with Campus Crusade for Christ, written a lot of on the apologies um, of scripture and theology. He says, I was forced to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most wicked, heartless, vicious hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. It is either history's greatest illusion or the greatest miracle that history records. Years ago, a British lawyer by the name of Frank Morrison was convinced that the resurrection was pure legend and fantasy. Aware that it was the foundation stone of the Christian faith, he decided to do the world a favor by exposing its fraud and superstition. As a lawyer, he felt he had the critical objectivity to sift through evidence and to admit nothing as evidence which did not meet the rigid criteria for admission into the court of law. While he was doing his research, a remarkable thing happened. This case was not nearly as easy as he imagined. As a result, the first chapter of his book is entitled, The Book That Refused to Be Written. In it, he describes how as he examined the evidence, he became persuaded against his will of the fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the book is called, Who Moved the Stone? And let's look at two of it. First, there is the fact of the worldwide Christian church. Its history can be traced back to the year AD 32, 1,986 years ago. Did it just happen or was there a cause for it? These people who were first called Christians at Antioch turned the world of their time upside down. They constantly referred to the resurrection as the basis for their teaching, preaching, living, and significantly, their dying. Then there is the fact of the Christian day. Christianity, uh, Sunday is the day of worship for Christians. Its history can also be traced back to A.D. 32, such a shift in the calendar was huge. Something cataclysmic must have happened to change the day of worship from the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, sunset Friday, to sunset Saturday, to Sunday, the first day. Christians said the shift came because of the desire to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This shift is all the more remarkable when remember that the first Christians were Jews, it is the resurrection, if the resurrection d does not account for this monumental upheaval, what does? Then there is the fact of the Christian book, the New Testament. The New Testament contains six independent testimonies to the fact of the resurrection. Three of them are, are eyewitnesses, John, Peter, and Matthew. 
Paul writing to the churches at, the, at an early date refers to the resurrection in such a way that it is obvious to him and his readers that the event was well known and was accepted without question. Morrison asked, are these men who helped transform the moral structure of society consummate liars or deluded madmen? These alternatives are harder to believe than the fact of the resurrection, and there's no shred of evidence to support the alternatives. Two other facts that must be explained are the empty tomb and the alleged appearances of Christ after his death. How can we account for the empty tomb? The earliest alternative idea uh, to the resurrection is that the disciples stole the body. Matthew 28, 11 to 15, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. And uh, a meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so that you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they, had, what they were told to say. Their story uh, spread widely uh, among the Jews and they still tell it today. Morrison writes, testimony like this would be laughed out of any court. Furthermore, we are faced with the psychological and ethical impossibility. Stealing the body of Christ is something totally foreign to the character of the disciples and all that we know of them. It would mean that they were perpetrators of a deliberate lie which was responsible for the misleading and ultimate death of thousands of people. It is inconceivable that even if a few of his disciples had conspired and pulled off this theft, they would never have told the others. Each of the disciples faced torture and martyrdom for their statements and beliefs. And then he says, men will die for what they believe to be true, though it, will, it may actually be false. They will not die for what they know is a lie. A second hypothesis is that the authorities, Jewish or Roman, moved the body. But why? Having put guards at the tomb, what would be their reason for moving the body? If they had Christ's body, they could have paraded it through the streets of Jerusalem. In one swell swoop, they could have, had, could have successfully smothered Christianity before it ever had a chance to begin. But they didn't have the body. Uh, consider Acts 4. But to keep them, the disciples, from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Another popular theory is that the women, distraught and overcome by grief, missed their way. They went the wrong way to the tomb. And um, in the dimness of the morning, tomb, in their distress, they imagined Christ had risen because the tomb was empty, because they went to the wrong tomb. 
uh, Morrison said this uh, theory holds no water because all the authorities had to do was to go to the right to produce the body. And it's inconceivable that Peter and John would succumb to the same mistake. And certainly Joseph of Arimathea, owner of the tomb, would have quickly solved the problem. John Warwick Montgomery, a professor at Trinity while I was there, said it passes the bounds that the early Christians could have manufactured such a tale and then preached it among those who might easily have refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. Then there is what's called the swoon theory. It has been suggested to explain the empty tomb. In this view, Christ did not actually die. He was mistakenly reported to be dead but had swooned. Lovely. <laughs> Passed out, fainted, collapsed from exhaustion, pain, and loss of blood. When he was placed in the coolness of the tomb, he revived, he came out of the tomb, and appeared to his disciples, who mistakenly thought he had risen from the dead. Time to take a break. I think I might have explained to you when I first started as a pastor, we had a service at the community center. We didn't have a building. And that was the last time that I never marked my pages. <laughs> the breeze came through and took all of my notes all over the front of the church with no page numbers. I died. <laughs> a German critic by the name of David Strauss, who didn't believe in the resurrection, rejected this idea of this, of the, that was proposed. He wrote, it is impossible, now understand, this is not a believer, he doesn't accept the resurrection, but he says it is impossible that one who had just come forth from the grave half dead, who crept along weak and ill, who stood in the need of medical treatment, of bandaging, strengthening, and tender care, and who at last succumbed to the suffering, could ever have given the impression to the disciples that he was a conqueror over death and the grave, that he was the prince of life, this lay at the bottom of their future ministry. Such a resuscitation could only have weakened the impression which he had made upon them in life and death, or at the most could have given it in a mournful voice, but could by no possibility have changed their sorrow into enthusiasm or elevated their reverence into worship. The only theory the only theory that adequately explains the empty tomb is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The second piece of data that everyone, whether believer or unbeliever, must explain are the recorded appearances of Jesus. These occurred from the morning of his resurrection to his ascension 40 days later. Ten separate appearances are recorded. Two were to individuals, Peter and John. They were appearances to the disciples as a group. 
and there was appearance to 500 believers at one time. The appearances were at different places, some were in the garden near the tomb, some were in the upper room, one was on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and some were far away in Galilee. Then there was Doubting Thomas, we're familiar with him. John 20, 25, I won't believe it until, unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. And eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me, which includes everyone gathered here this morning. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracle signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. What was it that changed a gang of frightened, cowardly disciples into men of courage and conviction? What was it that changed Peter from one who the night before the crucifixion was so afraid for his own skin that three times he denied to even know Jesus into a roaring lion of faith? Fifty days later, Peter risked his life by saying he had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And it must be remembered that Peter preached the powerful, his powerful Pentecost sermon, Acts 2, in Jerusalem, where the events took place and his life was in danger. He was not in Galilee, miles away, where no one could verify the facts and where his ringing statements might go unchallenged. The late Paul Little, a professor of mine, said, finally, there is the evidence of the resurrection, which is contemporary and personal. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he is alive today, powerful to invade and change those who invite him into their lives. Thousands now bear uniform testimony that their lives have been revolutionized by Jesus Christ. He has done in them what he said he would do. And there are those who, everyone who, gave Hello. everyone who gave testimony in the baptismal service had testified to the fact that Jesus Christ has changed their lives. Why Easter? 1 Corinthians 15. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. 
This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus? If there would be no resurrection from the dead, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. And John says in John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you have life by the power of his name. Why Easter? Proof that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God who came to provide a solution for our sins. Our hope for eternity has everything to do with the absolute truth of Easter. Jesus was who he said he was and can accomplish everything he said he could and will do. Why Easter? Victory over our sin. For sin is the sting that results in death. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why Easter? Affirmation for believers. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so that prompts a question. Have you put your hope and faith and trust in the living Son of God, Jesus Christ? Hebrews 11:6 6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Ultimately, it comes down to faith. The basis of our faith begins and ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. He is risen. Watch this. Okay, it's Easter. So here's what you can expect today. At some point today, somebody's going to stand up in your church house and say something like, uh, Jesus is not dead. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore. I mean, you can expect it. Just like you expect to hear the national anthem before somebody throws out the first pitch or, uh, or happy birthday before somebody makes a wish and blows out those candles. Not dead. Somebody's going to say it. But here's, a, here's the question. This, uh, this not dead Jesus stuff, is it really true? Or is it just something nice to say? I mean, it seems like a pretty important question. Because really, nobody's just sitting there today. The way I see it, everybody's rolling the dice. See, this not dead Jesus stuff, if it's not true, well then, yeah, really, you're probably wasting your time. You'd probably do better to just sing a rousing rendition of Happy Birthday and call it a day. <laughs> or better yet, you could have slept in and skipped all of this. Because <laughs> really, Jesus not dead? If it's really not true, eh, all of this stuff you're doing, sitting in rows, singing a bunch of songs, listening to some preacher talk. Uh, it really has just about as much significance as, uh, as making a wish and blowing out those candles. 
On the other hand, if it is true, well, just imagine the possibilities. Jesus, not dead. I mean, he was dead. In the ground, dead and buried, the funerals over, the casseroles have all been eaten, but now, all of a sudden, he's up and walking around again, better than ever. Not dead? <laughs> well, what do you do with a guy like that? My way of thinking, a guy like that, you pay attention to him, and when he says, I'm God, you say, I'll buy that. And when he says, I'm going to lead you in a parade to glory, you say, let me get my drum and fall in behind you. If it's true, Jesus not dead, here's an idea for you. Just today, beat your drum, sing to the rafters, celebrate like you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs>